welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. Romans chapter 3 is where we're starting at today. The first two chapters so far, Paul has been making a case to these Romans. He's been writing and he's been talking about the Greeks and the, and the Jews. And in chapter 1, he let, the, he let the Romans, he let the Greeks have it and just basically said, you guys are, these guys are terrible and they're living life in a terrible way. And then chapter 2, he jumps in and he says, he's talking to the Jews now and he says, you, you think that you're any better than these guys? He said, but you're not any better than these guys. He was talking to them, saying that you were taking advantage of your Jewish heritage, and you're saying that just because you're Jews, you're going to make it to heaven. And he says, that's not the case of the matter. And he ends off chapter 2 talking about what we just said. He said, a true Jew is someone whose heart is circumcised. And that's what he's talking about. And so picking up in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says this. He said, then what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Yes, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God, he said. So the way that Paul is writing, Paul is writing in a style that was familiar in that day and time. And he's writing as if he's arguing with an invisible person. And so he's asking the questions and then he's also answering the questions in his letter. And that was the way that they wrote back then, he says. And so because he just said, this is what a true Jew is in chapter 2. Then they say, he starts off and he says, well, what's the advantage of being a Jew then? Is there any advantage? And he says, yes, of course there's an advantage. He says the advantage is, is that the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. Now, the Greek word for that word revelation, the whole revelation of God is logion. And it's an orator, sentence, or declaration, especially the utterance of the or- oracles of God. And it denotes this, the historical manifestation of this word of God. What he's talking about is the Jews had the Ten Commandments. He said, so yes, the benefit and the advantage was was that the Jews had the laws of God. The Jews had the tabernacle of the Lord in their midst. They had revelation. They had his, his relationship there with them. He would come down into the tent of the meeting place and meet with them. They had this relationship with the Lord God. So he's saying, yes, of course there's benefit in being a Jew because the Jews had this revelation. They had the word of God. They had the Ten Commandments. They had this relationship with him. And he says, true in verse 3, some of them, talking about the Jews, were unfaithful. And I love, if you highlight and make notes in your Bible, which I love to do, this would be a good verse to highlight and doodle upon. It says, just because some of them were unfaithful, uh, because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true, as the scripture says about him. You will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. Let's pause for a second. He says, if some of them are unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? The question here, the thought here when I was reading this, and it says, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Well, the the question that stands to reason is, what would God be unfaithful to? 
If God was going to be unfaithful, what is he talking about here? True, some of them were unfaithful, but because they were unfaithful, does it mean that God's going to be unfaithful? Unfaithful to what? Unfaithful to the promises and to the covenants that he's made with you. That's what the question is. If just because these people were unfaithful, does it mean that God is going to break his covenant and his truth and his lies with you? Or not his lies, but lie to you and say, you know, I said this was going to happen, but because you broke your covenant with me, I'm going to change my mind. The answer is in verse 4, and it says, of course not. So here's my thought. Listen to this. We're all at faithful, unfaithful at times, aren't we? We all make a mess of things sometimes, don't we? Yep, we do. It's, it's okay to admit that. It's true. We're all humans. We all misstep, misspeak, make mistakes, become unfaithful. But in your unfaithfulness, in your error, in your mistakes, even then God is not going to be unfaithful to you. You're not as excited about that as you should be. You know, sometimes I think that we just take the Lord for, we take, we take advantage of him. We, we, we don't really understand and grasp the goodness of God in our lives. You know, we were singing that song. Um, what was the second song again? The name of Jesus we were singing about? The name of Jesus over everything? I just want, I speak Jesus. And I was thinking about that song as we sang it. You know, Jesus in the mountains, Jesus in the streets, speaking Jesus in the darkness over enemy, every enemy. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking to myself, my Lord, if we grasped the reality of what we were singing in that moment, really declaring Jesus over everything, the darkest in the night, the, the family that's broken, breaking off the chains of addiction, if we really understood what we were saying, we wouldn't just stand there and be like, oh, God is so good to me. He's good. Okay, God's good. No, God is amazing. Even when you make a mistake, even when you make a mess of things, even when you are unfaithful and turn your back on him, God is still going to remain faithful to the covenant that he made with you. Oh, I see you're still not getting it. Because if you understood the reality of who God is, hang on a second. Verse 4. Does that, does that mean God's going to be unfaithful in verse 3? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, even if everybody else you ever met on the planet was a liar, God is true. Mm. That word true means this. It's alethis. It's one who cannot lie. One who cannot lie. Not possible. There was a movie a couple years ago. I never saw it, but the premise of the movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the person couldn't lie. Could not lie. Take, take stock of your life for just a moment. For just a moment. Think about your life. Think about today, possibly. And the choices you make and the lies, the white lies, the, you know, the, the white lies, the big lies, the small lies that we tell. God cannot lie. Physically, not possible. Not capable. Not in his nature. 
So when God made a covenant with you, when God made a promise to you, when God said something to you, it doesn't matter what you did or if you were unfaithful. God is still, Ariel, going to keep his promise and covenant with you. Come on! No, you're not getting it! You're missing something. Maybe I've got to find another way to say this. I don't know. Let's keep going. It's he can't lie. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4 in the New King James says this. He is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Hmm. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Titus chapter 1 verse 2 in the Amplified says, Based on the hope and divine guarantee of eternal life, the life which God, who is ever truthful, ever truthful and without deceit, promised before the ages of time began. See, the problem is, is that we try to understand God through our lens through the way that we live our life, through the way that we interact with people, through the way that we deal in our relationships, through the way that people treat us and that we treat others. And you cannot judge the Lord. You cannot try to understand him through the lens of your own eyes. He's not a better version of you. See, you can lie. You can be unfaithful. You can be full of deceit. You can have, like it said in Deuteronomy, said God was a God of justice and righteousness. You can be unrighteous and full of injustice. But the Lord cannot be those things. <laughs> this excites me, guys. This excites me that we serve a God that isn't just a better version of me. He's totally different than me. And I've got to begin to understand the character of God. I've got to begin to understand who God is so that I can begin to become more like him and less like me. Mm. Okay. Of course not, verse 4 says. Even if everybody else is a liar, God is true. And the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say and you will win your case in court. But some might say, this is interesting. This is sin trying to justify itself. Some might say, and the some that it's talking about is referring back to verse 3 when it says that there were some that were unfaithful. And those some might say, our sinfulness serves a good purpose. For it helps people to see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? This is merely a human point of view. Of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? But someone might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory? Can we just stop for a second? And can we just be real? That is the craziest set of thoughts I've ever read in my life. I want to share with you what Webster's 1828 Dictionary says sin is. Do you guys have Webster's 1828 Dictionary? You need to get Webster's 1828 Dictionary. 
Because Webster's 1828 dictionary says this is what sin is. The dictionary. This isn't the Greek definition of sin. This is what the dictionary in the year 1828 said. Sin is the voluntary departure of a moral agent from a known rule or rectitude of rectitude or duty prescribed by God and voluntary transgression of the divine law or a violation of a divine command, a wicked act, iniquity. Sin is either a positive act in which a known divine law is violated or it is voluntarily neglect to obey a positive divine command or a rule of duty clearly implied in such a command. Sin comprehends no action only, but neglect of known duty. All evil thoughts, purposes, words, and desires, whatever is contrary to God's commands or laws. That's the dictionary in 1828. So people are saying in this, Paul is talking to these people and say, well, my sin... It helps people see how righteous God is. Or my sin brings God glory by highlighting his truthfulness is what he's saying. No, because this is what sin is. God doesn't need you to sin to show people how good he is. We just read in the previous chapter that the goodness of God will lead people to repentance. That it's God's goodness, not his goodness in allowing you to continue walking in darkness and sinning so they can say, oh, well, look at how terrible that person's life is. God must be good. What a crazy thought. Verse 8 says, and some people even slander us, talking about Paul, by claiming that we say, the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Verse 9, he goes on and says, Well then, should we conclude that we the Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we've already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. Not at all. For we've already shown that all people, everybody say all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, and the actual Greek word for the word Gentiles there is the word Greek. So he's writing, he's talking about those Jews in Rome, and he's talking about the Roman people. And he said, either Jews or Greeks, you Romans, it doesn't matter what you are. He says, all people are under the power of sin. Now that phrase, under the power of sin, is the Greek. It's two words put together, and it's this. The first word is hupo, and it means in the power of, under the authority of, and the second word is hamartia. So it's hupo hamartia is what that actual Greek phrase is. And hamartia is missing the true scope of our lives, which is God. Could we just stop for a second? Missing the true scope of our life, which is God. What's the true scope of your life? What, 
is the purpose of your life? When you get up in the morning, what is the true scope of your life? What lens are you looking at your life through? Is the true scope of your life God or is it something else? Is it making your wife happy? Is it making your husband happy? Is it making your kids happy? Is it doing your job? Is it doing this thing or that or the other? It says here that is the true scope of our life, which is God. Mauricio, the true scope of your life is God, nothing else. And just as I stand here talking, you know what I like about the word scope? Because there's scope, a scope is something that brings something far away into, into closer, right? Like magnifies it and you look at it. Scope usually found on top of a gun. We also have something else that we use to do that. It's called binoculars, right? But binoculars is two things to look through, right? You got one eye and one eye and you look through them. There's two things. But a scope is one thing that you look through. It's focused, and it says here, the true scope of your life is focused on one thing, and that is God. The true scope, which is God. So it talks about, when he says, hupo hamardia, he's talking about people are under the power of sin, in the power of, under the authority of sin, missing the mark in your life. He says, all people are under that power. Now that's without Jesus in your life. And before we go any further, I want to share a scripture with you. Colossians chapter 1. Do we have verse 13 as well, Jaden? So right here it says, All people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. Hupahormaria. You're under that power without Jesus, without giving your life to the Christ, to the Messiah, without dedicating yourself, without surrendering yourself, without saying, Jesus, I need you in my life. You are under the power of sin. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says this, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. It's talking about the Lord. He has rescued you from the kingdom of darkness. He has rescued Jessica. He has rescued other Jessica. He has rescued Sham. He has rescued Ella. He has rescued Brendan from the kingdom of darkness and transferred them into the kingdom of his dear son. Verse 14, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Go back to 13. He has rescued you from the kingdom of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his dear son. Verse 14, who purchased your freedom and forgave your sins. Verse 13, who rescued you from the kingdom of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased your freedom and forgave your sins. So right here, Paul's talking. He says, we're all under the power of sin. You're all under the weight and the authority of sin until Jesus came and until he came and transferred you and picked you up and moved Maurizio from the kingdom of darkness. He said, no, man, you're not over here. I've made a way for you, and I'm going to take you from over here, and I'm going to take you from darkness, and I'm going to bring you over here into the kingdom of my son, into the kingdom of the light, because I bought a way for you. I bought your freedom, and I forgave your sins. So without Jesus, you're living in a kingdom of darkness. But when you come and surrender your life to Christ, he moves you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Okay. 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 I tell you what. The Lord is at work in your life. 
I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're dealing with. He said, well, my life is so hard. You don't know my circumstances. You don't know what's going on. I just don't feel like I'm going to make it. I don't feel like my family's going to make it. I don't feel like I got enough money. I don't think I'm going to think the right thoughts. I don't, yeah, 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 yeah. I tell you what, the Lord is at work behind the scenes. God is working on your behalf. He has made a way for you. He sent his son down to die on the cross and give his life and to forgive you of your sins and move you to transfer you, to pick you up and say, hey, guess what? You don't live over here anymore. You don't live on dirty alley. You don't live on the dark side. I'm taking you over. And we're going right here. And just like the Jeffersons, we're moving on up. We're moving on up. And I got something over here for you. And here you go. I'm going to put you in this place. I'm moving you into the kingdom of my son. God is at work in your life. He is your healer. He is your redeemer. He is your sanctifier. He is your strong tower. He is your refuge. He is your peace. Come on, God is at work in your life. So, back to verse 10 here. It says, all people are under the power of sin, as the scripture says. Now, what happens here in these next uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight verses is a common practice which they called stringing pearls. And so what Paul is doing, now you got to remember, Paul had somebody writing these letters for him. And so it would be like Paul was walking around like I am up here on the stage talking and saying, I want you to write this letter down. And so Paul's mind is going. And so he begins to string pearls. And these are references to all different scriptures. This isn't one passage of, of scripture that he's quoting here. This is about six different passages that he begins to quote and put together. And it was a common practice in the Jewish temple. It was called stringing pearls. And so he comes along and he says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away and become useless. Mm. That word useless, we talked about this in chapter 1 as well. We talked about the Greek word moreno when it said that, that these people became foolish. And the definition, the Greek word moreno was they'd become useless like salt that can no longer serve its purpose and make things salty anymore. Interestingly enough here when it says um, all have turned away and become useless, the analogy here is milk that has gone sour. It no longer serves a purpose. Chuck it out. Get rid of it. He says, all have turned away and become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. I want to remind you of something. Those are the actions, those are the lives of people who are hupo hamartia, under the power and authority of sin. But those of us who call in the name of Jesus, who have surrendered our life, live in the kingdom of light, we used to be over here. We used to live in the kingdom of darkness. We used to struggle. We used to feel fear and anxiety and pain. We used to have all these problems. But we surrendered our lives to Jesus and we moved from over here to over here into the kingdom of his dear son. And all those things that he's talking about, all those things that he's listing off, thank God they don't apply to us. Well, they shouldn't apply to us. Let's say it that way. 
because we have been transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. And I want to end on this verse right here. And I want to encourage you with something. It says they don't know where to find peace. They don't know where to find peace. And in Isaiah chapter 9, you're going to like this. Do you need peace in your life? Three people need peace in their life. Isaiah chapter 9. It's talking about, Romans is talking about people that are under the power and authority of sin. And it ends off saying they don't know where to find peace. But for those of us that have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says this. For a child is born to us, and a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now here's what I want to remind you of. A prince is a son of the king. A prince is an heir to the throne. And if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that means God is the king of peace. And when you talk about royalty, you say they are the king of whatever land they rule. So the dominion and the kingdom that the Lord is the king of and that Jesus is the prince of is the kingdom of peace. And I want to tell you today, I want to remind you today that when you gave your life to Jesus, you were transferred from the kingdom of fear from the kingdom of anxiety, from the kingdom of less than enough, from the kingdom of hurt, from the kingdom of division, from the kingdom of wounds and suffering and, 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 and nothing works and nothing is right and I hate my life and why am I over here? You were moved from that kingdom, from that realm, from that nasty place. You were moved from that into the kingdom of peace. It says people under the authority and power of sin don't know where to find peace. We know where to find peace. It comes from our king. It comes from the prince of peace. And we live in the kingdom of peace. So if you find yourself in a time when you need peace in your life, if you find yourself in the middle of storms, if you find yourself saying, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm all worked up, I'm afraid, I'm dealing with anxiety and stress, and my life looks terrible, and I'm not going to make it, you need to remind yourself that you serve the king of peace. That he is your father, and he's a good, good father like we sing. And he's a father of peace. The Bible talks about that you will have peace that passes all understanding. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that his spirit, his love, and his life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.